Thanks a lot. His wounds have paid my ransom. You know, that's why we gather every week. It's to celebrate the resurrection. To celebrate the one who gave himself for us. The one who experienced abandonment from God so that we would not have to. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to Mark chapter 12, the New Testament book of Mark chapter 12. Beginning in verse 28. And before we uh, read the scripture, just a, a note think of uh, why I kind of came down here uh, uh, in this part of the Bible, uh, certainly under the leadership of the Lord. There's so much that we learn here at Cross Point. If you're in a Sunday school class, uh, we go through books of the Bible in Sunday school class, a lot of deep precepts, a lot of deep teaching, a lot of principles that stretch our mind. If, if you're a regular attender or member during our 1030 worship service, uh, there are a lot of deep principles that, that we go through. Uh, Pastor Landon is taking us through Romans 12 right now. Uh, the gifts have been the last couple of weeks and a lot of um, concepts that stretch me personally, that challenge me, and uh, maybe it's doing the same for you. And I'm grateful, I'm grateful that Crosspoint is a place where we don't check our brains at the door, but rather we engage the scriptures, we engage uh, concepts, precepts, a variety of of theological ideas that are certainly Christ-centered. I'm grateful for that. Today is just a simple word of encouragement that we not lose sight of why we're learning what we're learning. That we don't lose sight But the goal is not more knowledge. The goal is to be in relationship with God so that He produces life change. The goal is life change, not knowledge. That's the goal. The goal is transformation, as uh, Landon will say, not just more knowledge. So in this particular occasion in in Scripture, and uh, sometimes when it's it's my turn to to teach, I, um, since... I'm not the regular guy. I can't really get into a regular routine. So I'll just ask some folks, hey, I'm taking requests for sermons. What do you, you know, what would you like to, to hear on? Um, sin is not one of the requests. That's ever present in my life. I, I don't know about your life, but it certainly needs to be preached. Uh, but uh, it's always interesting to me just um, how we seem, generally, we seem to be going through the same things. And we seem to be concerned about the, the, same, uh, the same thing. So let's allow God to do what only he can do. Let's start in verse 28, Mark chapter 12. One of the scribes approached Jesus. When the scribe heard them debating, now them is the group of Pharisees, religious leaders, Sadducees who were talking with Jesus. When he heard this group debating, and when he saw that Jesus answered them well, The scribe asked Jesus, which commandment do you think is most important? Jesus said this one, you 
shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then he, of course, starts that with what we know as the Shema. Listen, Israel. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. The second commandment is this, Jesus continues. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe responded to Jesus, You are right, Rabbi. You are right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one, and there is no one else except him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, this is far more important than all the burnt offerings and all the sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered intelligently, Jesus said, You are not far from the kingdom of God. Life comes down to three relationships. My relationship with God, my relationship with self, my relationship with others. Life comes down to those three relationships. A relationship with God, a relationship with self, and a relationship with others. To simply know about God is not enough. To simply have knowledge and to be able to wax eloquently about any theological precept is not enough. Even the demons believe and tremble is what the scripture tells us. Even the fallen angels know that God exists. Even they affirm the deity of God's anointed one. It's not enough to know about God. As I've mentioned to the Sunday night group at Grace, it's important that we be in relationship with God. Let me illustrate. You think of of your spouse, if you're not married, you think of a close friend, your best friend, or family member. It's their birthday. You get them a gift. You walk up to them and you say, I know today is your birthday. I got you a present because it's your birthday. Enjoy it. Or let's say about my spouse. If I told you when Cynthia's birthday is, and I told you what her favorite food is, her favorite color, her favorite movie, her favorite type of of music, but I couldn't distinguish her hand from another person's hand, or I couldn't distinguish her voice from the voice of another woman, what would you think? You probably wouldn't think highly of me as a husband. There would be absolutely no intimacy in that relationship. Where there is no intimacy, there is no relationship. This is not much different than our relationship with God. Let's look at the scripture. Let's consider verses uh, 30 and 31. Our relationship with God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, if you have a, a pencil or a pen, I want to encourage you to, to take some notes in your Bible. The original language of uh, the New Testament here in Mark, with all your heart, the Greek word is cardia, you know, where cardio, you know, it means heart. This is the, uh, the center of life, just where, where everything is located, our, our heart. You know, when you say, I just love it with all my heart. With all your soul, this is where we get the word psyche. And in this intention, in this context, it's basically the breath of life. That which does not dissolve in death. That part of us that, that uh, death does not destroy. The soul that lives on for eternity. The word mind, dianoia, which is D-I-A-N-O-I-A, means through the intellect, through our reasoning. And with strength, another word for it would be force. So here Jesus is saying to this person who knows God and to this person who's religious and wants to love God, Jesus says, quoting Deuteronomy 6, Love God as hard as you can with all that you have. Love God with the center of your life. He is to be center of life. Love him with that which is eternal, the soul, which I don't completely understand my soul. I don't know if you do yours. But that which is eternal, what God has placed in us, that which gives us life. And he says, love him with your mind, with your intellect. Christianity is a reasonable faith. I don't understand everything about it, but it's reasonable. And then he says, with all your strength, so the force of all of these things combined, my heart, my eternal soul, and with my reasoning ability, to take all three of those and exert it in a force of love towards God. In the Bible, the folks that lived back then, and even when God's writing, His design, it's not meant to be separated. We are whole people. All of it is together. When the body's not right physically, it affects our mental state. When our mental state's not right, it affects sometimes our physical state. It affects everything about us. Our body is whole. I'm in, a, uh, I'm in somewhat of a relationship with this Volkswagen Beetle that I'm trying to restore. Okay? Some of you have seen it. Uh, Terry looked at it and he just kind of shook his head, and he says, if, if that thing rolls, it'll be proof that God's still in the miracle business. <laughs> that was two years ago. Well, I'm proud to announce that yesterday I took the neighborhood kids up and down the street in this thing. Now, there's no body on it, no body on it, just wheels. Just got four wheels and a chassis, and we just pushed it up and down the street. <laughs> I, I mean, that was it. I, and by we, I mean I. I pushed it uh, up, up and down the street, and, and Ivy across the street kind of helped me. Can I love this thing with all of my heart? This thing's not the center of my life. Can I love it with my soul? No, I, I don't know how to, to love a car that way. 
Can I love it with my intellect? I'm trying. I'm trying to understand it. Okay? But this car is an inanimate object. It does not respond. No matter how I speak to it, no matter how gently I put on a bolt, no matter how much I read about it, and to know all things about this car, it does not respond. It's impossible for me to be in a relationship with a car. That's why I kind of what in a relationship with a car. But the difference is God does respond. Let's not fall into the trap that we can read all the books about him that we want to, from Genesis to Revelation. Let's not fall into the trap that we can show him off to our friends and our neighbors by saying, look what I do, look what I know. The difference is God enters into a relationship with us. He responds to us. You see it in your life. I see it in my life. The way that we change, the way that you've changed as a result of being in the Word, it's not simply because we have more knowledge. It's because God is responding back to us. Hebrews 4.12 says this about God's Word. For the Word of God is living and effective and sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as to divide soul, spirit, joints, and marrow. The Word is a judge of the ideas and thoughts of the heart. Listen to another picture that Jesus gives us of God's work. John chapter 10. Jesus gives this motif of being a shepherd. In verse 3, Jesus tells the story about the ideal shepherd. In verse 2, the one who enters by the door, so he's got this pen and there's this gate, okay? The one who comes into the door, into the gate, is the shepherd of the sheep. The doorkeeper opens it for the shepherd, and the sheep hear the shepherd's voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Look at verse 14 and 15. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. The teaching of Jesus presupposes that God will respond. And that's how our life is changed. From God's grace at work in my life, drawing me to himself, to me coming under a new teaching of the word, where his word divides my soul, my heart. He responds to this. My relationship with God will directly affect the second relationship. That's relationship to self. And I want you to see this. I don't want you to think that I'm making up some uh, touchy-feely, some kind of uh, friendly, the three relationships of the world. I want you to see this is what the Scripture says. Jesus says, love God, number one, with all that you have. And then in verse 31, back in Mark 12, he says, the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. We're to love God. Now, what's it look like to love ourselves and to love our neighbor? 
that gets tricky, right? Sometimes we think, well, I've got enough of self-loving. Isn't that selfish? Isn't what you're saying contradicting what the Scripture teaches? Well, if you'll be patient with me and flip over to Colossians, we'll camp out in the book of Colossians for a few moments. The point is, self doesn't exist. Self no longer exists. When Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself, we're to ask, how am I to love myself? What does that mean? It doesn't mean that we need to go to the self-help section in our local bookstore. But rather look at Colossians chapter 3. We'll start in verse 2. The Lord says, Set your minds on what is above, not on what is on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with the Messiah. In God. When the Messiah, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, put to death whatever in you is worldly sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, God's wrath comes on the disobedient. If you've got your pen or your pencil still out, I want you to circle two words. In verse 3, the word died. For you have died, and your life is hidden. Circle the word hidden. These two words, this for you have died, is a reference to a a natural passing away, uh, death through a cause, whether uh, it was a, a a violent act, whether it's uh, dying in, in your sleep, a peaceful act, whether it was at the hand of someone else. That's what this word means. For you have died. There is a cause. There is a reason why you die. Well, when we die here in this context, our life becomes hidden. The word hidden here is crypto. A better word would be concealed. The Spirit of God causes me to die. My selfish desires, my desire for greed, for uh, lust, for uh, gossip, for impurity, for evil desire, all of those things that are mentioned there, the Spirit of God causes that to die. And then I am concealed in Christ. Now what about verse 5? We have another word there. Put to death whatever is in you. The word death, we circle that and right off to the side. A better word, a better way to understand that would be deprive power. It's a different word from the word died in verse 3. In the English language, we have the same word and it means different things. You know, if I say I love ice cream and I love my wife, it's the same word, but you know that that's not. Baby, that's not the, the same 
degree, but, but which, which I mean. The word died in verse 3 is different from the word death in verse 5. Verse 5 could better be understood for us as, Therefore, deprive power to the things in you which do not reflect God's design, such as sexual immorality, impurity, evil desire, etc., So when it comes to loving self, we first have to ask ourselves, well, who am I? Who is self? We cannot understand who we are clearly until we come to a clear understanding of who God is. The clearer our understanding of God, the clearer our understanding of self. And when I become acutely aware of the holiness of God, I am immediately aware of the depth of my sin. I'm immediately aware that there are things in my life that I have to deprive power to. What gives me the strength to deprive power to them? Well, the fact that I no longer exist, but that I am concealed in Christ. That soul, that psyche that Deuteronomy 6 is talking about, which Jesus is telling the scribe. So from this relationship with self... And I realize that self is dead, and there are many other scriptures in the New Testament that we can, we can spend two weeks just going through the motif of, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ who lives in me. This relationship directly affects the third relationship, the relationship with others. That's what Colossians says. Look at verse 6. We'll see the transition from what it means to know self so that I can know how to treat others. Because of these, those uh, sins, God's wrath comes on the disobedience. And you once walked in those things when you were living in them. But remember now, we're dead to that. But now you must also put away the following, colon, anger, wrath, malice, slander, And filthy language from your mouth. Now here's the transition. Don't lie to one another. Since you have put off the old man with his practices. The old man has been put off. As one of my mentors says, the old man has been rendered inoperative. I am dead. The grace of God has caused that part of me, that sinner in me, to die. And now my life is hidden in Him. My life is concealed in Christ. And because of the work that He does in my life, it directly affects my work in other people's life. And by work, I just mean the interactions. We have put on the new man in verse 10, who is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of his creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, put on kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Accept one another, 
Forgive one another if anyone has a complaint against you. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity. These last two verses sum up that important relationship of loving God, of loving self, and of loving others. Look in verse 13, it's Colossians 3. It says, After accepting one another, forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. As we're learning, even this morning, the psalm of silence. Sometimes heaven is silent. And I don't know why heaven is silent at times, except I know that God is fundamentally a good God, and I trust Him. But just as the Lord has forgiven me, so I too must also forgive. How are believers described in verse 12? God's chosen ones, holy and loved. That's who we are. That's who believers are in the sight of God. People who are loved by Him, who are chosen by Him, and who are holy. How are we holy? He makes us holy. Through the response, through the relationship with Him. God speaks, we listen, we respond. And when He makes us new creations, it affects how we treat others. When I realize that I have been forgiven of my sins, it changes who I am. Were Christ taken from me today, I would not know who I am tomorrow. My self-concept, my self-identity, my self-worth is tied entirely to the new creation that God has made me through my faith in Christ. If you only would have known me prior to my conversion, you would know what a difference the Spirit of Christ makes. And I know you can say the same. If only I would have known you prior to your conversion. Many of us can give testimony to how God has changed us. And if He is not changing you, if you are not being changed, I want to encourage you. Don't just eat up the knowledge. But understand that God is an active God. He is a real God. He is not an inanimate object like a car that we come to and we say kind things to, hoping that it will say kind things back. The Bible is not some magical lamp when we're stressed out or we're angry or something bad happens, we run to the Bible and we start reading it, hoping, just like a man rubbing a lamp where a genie will appear. We're hoping, God, if, if you see all the effort I'm doing, hopefully you're going to reward me. Now, that's idolatry. A religious man asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love God with everything you have. And when you understand how deep the Father's love is for you, you will begin to have a deep love for others. And so you love your neighbor just as you are loving yourself. And it's not 
me that I've created, but it's God who has made me. And if we love ourselves, it's because we love Christ. Not loving ourselves where we want to think highly of ourselves than we ought. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a level of understanding that we are dead, but we live in Christ. And because we live in Him, He affects how we treat others. And He expects His grace to flow from us. And as we understand that He has forgiven us, then we begin to forgive others. Let's go back to Mark 12. And we'll land the plane here. Verse 32 again. The scribe said to Jesus, You're right. You've correctly said, Our God is one. There is no one else beside Him. And to love Him with all our heart, with all our understanding, and with all our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. In other words, the scribe says, Being in relationship with God is far more important than being religious with God. Being in relationship with God is far more important than being religious towards God. You know what I mean by being religious towards God? I mean, doing all those things where we're hoping we get a response. Whether it's offering, whether it's prayer, or reading our Bible, or giving alms to the poor, or participating in mission trips, or volunteering for service. On Friday, uh, Michelle Bordelon, Wendy Cheney, and I had the privilege of going to uh, a prison, a women's prison, for a revival. And we were uh, participants primarily, and um, Michelle and Wendy had a chance to talk to a couple of the ladies. But one of the ladies who is singing, uh, she's one of uh, the inmates there. She said something along the lines of, when you get involved with Jesus, he's got a way of messing you up. And it's true, right? When we get involved with Jesus, when we enter into a relationship with Jesus, he starts, quote, messing us up, meaning he stirs the pot of our heart. He stirs our mind, our intellect So that when I'm thinking one way and when I want to think this particular thing is right and I come to the scriptures and I learn that it's not right, even when I want to stay here, God works in such a way where he transforms my mind to think here. You know, I was a follower of Jesus for five years before I affirmed the exclusiveness of the gospel. Because as I'm learning to love him with my intellect, with my mind, I say, God, I've got a certain worldview, and it doesn't match up with your worldview. I want to match up with your worldview. And He gives grace to change our mind, to change our thinking. Earlier this week, I was, I attended a funeral for a family member of a neighbor. A, two-year-old boy, Cooper, who passed away unexpectedly. The officiating minister said something that I had never thought about before, and I told him it would be preached again. And he said, okay. With a family, 
who had just lost their loved one. He told the community of faith, when the cross gets too heavy for this family to bear, we need to be their support. He said, we need to be Simon's. Do you remember who Simon is? He's the guy who helped Jesus carry his cross when it got too heavy for him. And here's what the minister said. If God sent someone to his son to help him, how much more does God expect his people to go to one another? The way you help carry someone's burden is directly proportionate to the way you allow God to carry your burden. You think you don't need help from God? You're not going to extend help to others. And you certainly won't accept help from others, from his people. So Jesus, the, the man says a relationship with God is far more important than religious activity towards God. And Jesus saw that he answered intelligently. And Jesus said, you know, you're not far from the kingdom of God. You're on your way. It's almost as if Jesus could have said at this point, follow me. Follow me. You're on your way. Follow me and I'll take you there. So that's my word of encouragement uh, to you this morning, Cross Point. That as we're learning so much and about God and our lives are being changed, we're on our way. Let's continue to follow Jesus. Let's continue to expect God to transform us. Because that's what he expects us to expect from him. He said, I will put my spirit in them and cause them to obey my commands. He has placed his spirit in the lives of those who believe. And either we will believe God wants to be in relationship or we'll just leave here remaining religious people. From children to youth to college students to middle adults, senior adults, I pray that God would continue to change your life that he would continue to cause you and you would expect him to cause you to learn what it means to love him with all that you have and to love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, usually I'll open the floor for any questions, comments, or suggestions, but I won't do that today. Instead, if there's anything I've said that's confusing to you or that you disagree with, I would love to dialogue with you. I would love uh, to be corrected if I'm in error, and I would love to correct you if you are in error, uh, using the scripture, of course. I'm going to ask our deacons to come forward and prepare the table for communion. And it's called communion because God's people